Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show, everybody. Very excited to bring you this week on the week of the PGA Championship at Harding Park in San Francisco, a very special extended cut, deep cut, old cut, new cut of all the bits that hit the cutting room floor from the video that we made with three PGA professionals from around the country and Rich Beam, Beamer, Austonian himself, PGA Championship, the man who slayed the tiger. All four of these gentlemen and myself are discussing what it's like to play golf, obviously. Obviously, that's one of the things we're discussing. Come on, I'm reading a script here, folks. Give me a second. We're, we're, we're discussing, obviously, the, the wonderful game of golf and the benefits that this game of chasing a tiny little white dimpled I would have said something, but I'm going to say something else. Dimpled little guy, little guy, around thousands and thousands of miles across the globe and the lessons that we've learned, what it's like to actually play in a major, and for these gentlemen, what it's like to make the cut in a major and stand there by the winner. In in, the, in 2019's case, Brooks Kepka, what a bold and confident man. Sometimes you wonder if it's fake, and then he goes and brings home a trophy, and you're like, that's not fake at all. This man is just a brick of confidence. This special podcast and all of the videos and content on the Random Golf Club website this week is presented by Chase Sapphire. Very excited, obviously, as you can tell from my voice. So let's get right into it. First up, we have Rich Beam. Beamer is a professional golfer best known for his win at the 2002 PGA Championship, like I said, slaying Tiger Woods by one stroke. Now, at 2002, I wasn't even into golf yet. So for me, this was kind of reflecting back on a part of the Bible that I hadn't read yet, one of the Old Testament. And Rich Beam is a character. And I don't know if it made its way into the interview as we edited it down. So we so we made a video that's on YouTube where you can where you can see these conversations that we had via Skype. Um, and that's, you know, only, you know, in the 10 or 15 minute range. So this is pretty much most of the conversations we had together. Quick, quick side note about Rich Beam. About seven years ago, I was sitting in my house and a phone number came up on my phone and it was from Texas and I answered it because I just always answer the phone even when it's a, you know, um, you know, I don't know, someone trying to sell me tires. And uh, the guy said, Eric Lang? I said, yeah, he goes, this is Rich Beam. Do you know who this is? And I said, well, it's Rich Beam, but that's about it. I didn't know who he was. I didn't, for all I knew, he had tires to sell. Just because I was ignorant to the golf world prior to when I had started playing. Um, And he said, I'm, I'm a tour player. I beat Tiger Woods in 2002 at the PGA Championship. And I was like, wow. Is this, I'm being pranked? I don't know what's happening. And we talked for like an hour and we never crossed paths since then, but you'll see and hear from his interview that this guy just is throttled on the game, just just loves the game. And, and that's why he's obviously gone on to be a commentator for Sky Sports. And he, he, that's why he'd be a great guy to uh, have a have, be, be stuck on a layover with, you know, just stories. Uh, hot takes, everything. Really funny and genuine guy. Rich grew up in El Paso, Texas, and went on to college on New Mexico State. He turned pro in 94, and his early career was broken up by a spell in Seattle selling car stereos and cell phones. Um, 
And, uh, you know, that's just a great example of why, in some cases, for Rich Beam, growing up the son of a PGA professional is the perfect PGA champion. Um, he was sidelined in 2010 after undergoing back surgery to repair damage to his C6 and C7 vertebrae. We don't really get into that in the interview, but that's just in my notes. So move it or lose it, folks. Enjoy the interview with Rich Beam without further ado, and stay tuned for Marty Jertson, club developer for Ping, Rob LeBitz. Whoa, that's a verbal typo. Rob LeBritz. <laughs> He's the director of golf at Glen Arbor in Bedford Hills, New York. And Ryan Vermeer, curiously, also related to Johannes Vermeer. I don't think it's bad if that's one of my favorite parts of the interview when he says, actually, yes, I am related to Johannes Vermeer. Okay, so we'll, uh, without further ado, enjoy Rich Beam. Thank you for listening. Okay, Rich Beam, I, uh, I have a feeling like your life is very unique. Do you have that feeling also? Um, yeah, there's no doubt it's unique. It's, it's certainly a life that I never expected. I can promise you that, Eric. I, not in a million years did I ever expect to, to be doing what I'm doing and not only be in the role that I have with Sky Sports Golf, but also the journey that got me here with being on the PGA Tour for almost 14 years. Um, winning three times, including the the PGA, but um, yeah, I, I even have I've got goosebumps right now. I, it really is surreal at how I got here. I just I I never had a plan in place, and to be fair, I still don't. Um, and I just I've been very fortunate. I, things have gone my way pretty much all my life. You know, as everybody, you kind of have some hiccups. You got to have some make some decisions here and there. But listen, I, I can't. I can't complain about a whole hell of a lot because it's been pretty good and it continues to be good. So, I mean, knock on wood, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest, most blessed guys out here. I, I, like I said, I'd never in a million years would have thought that I was going to be doing what I'm doing. And, and, and the thread throughout all of it is really, I mean, it, it's, it's just golf. It's just the game of golf as a child growing up in a family with golf. Can you talk about, what it meant to you then and what it means to you now? My dad being a professional um, in the PGA of American organization, and then my granddad um, who taught him the game and I, who I played with a lot as a kid in LA, I just, I fell in love with it when I was a kid. I, I think I fell in love with it because I got to spend a lot of time with my granddad, which was for me, it was great because he was such a unique character. And then getting to travel around the world with my dad uh, as he worked uh, in New Mexico, then in Panama, then in Berlin, Germany. So getting to see the world because of golf at an early age, to me, is very unique. And I didn't take it for granted, but I thought that, you know, I'd like to do this again someday. I'd like to be able to travel the world, like to go play golf other places. I just didn't know how this was going to come about. But it's been this game that's been so, been so great to me. Um, it's funny because when I, when I quit working and I started getting into, I started quit playing golf and started getting into the TV component of things, what I found was there was a lot of guys that were fairly jaded about the game and they, they didn't practice, they didn't play, they didn't want to get out there and, and really compete anymore. And for me, that was never a thought. 
I just thought, you know what? I love this game so much. I continue to bring my golf clubs with me. I've got I've got them with me today, and I've just every chance I get, I go out there and either hit balls, chip, putt, play if I can, and I still I still love it. And funny enough, I'm getting some of the guys that I work with this guy's forced to kind of kick off the rust of their sticks and, and bring them out again. But it this game, I just it's so it's so wonderful, and I can continue to play it till they put me in the grave and. I, I'm just going to enjoy every lasting moment because I can't find anything better to do. This is it. Um, beautiful. Uh, I, I feel the same way. Um, the Growing up really as a, as a product and as, as a child of the PGA program, right? As, as, a, as a benefactor of all of the um, you know, great institutions that the PGA of America has created, right? Um, at what point, you know, did you... Did you ever kind of dream about this Cinderella story of becoming the PGA champion, right? Did that, that must have entered its mind at some point. It's the perfect championship for Rich Bean. It, it really is. I never thought about it that way. It, it truly is the perfect one for me. Um, you know, I, my, my initial goal in college, Eric, was to play at one PGA Tour event, and that was the Phoenix Open back in the day. When I was, when I was in college, I went to that tournament, and I, got, I thought, I've got to get inside the ropes. I've got to play this tournament at least once. And so that was my, that was my initial goal. And then when I made it on tour, my, my second major was the PGA Championship at Medina, and, and I... I'd played in the Open Championship earlier that year in Carnoustie when the debacle happened with John Vandeveld and whatnot. And I thought, if this is how the Open Championship is run, I can't play this golf course because it's way too hard. <laughs> it's going to be like this every year, which thankfully it wasn't. But when I played Medina, I thought, this is how a golf course, a championship test should be. It's extremely difficult, but you get rewarded for good shots and you get penalized for bad ones. And I thought, this is it. Um, but it, I never really thought about winning it until probably in 2002 before um probably about a month before i was playing extremely well and i ended up adding uh, a tournament in there because i thought you know something big's about to happen something big funny enough i missed the cut i ended up i went to the john deere missed the cut and then i, I sprinted over to the uh, international which then I, I ended up winning it but i spent two extra days out there practicing playing the golf course but even by then, there was something in the back of my mind that, that I, I knew I was due to win something because I was playing so well. And I, I won the international. And then when I stepped on the first tee at the PGA on Monday, I was the first one out there. I fell in love with the golf course right then and there. And I thought to myself, I've got good as chance as anybody in this thing. I really did. I think, am I wrong in my feeling that the seventh hole at Hazeltine on Sunday, was that the moment? Um, the, nah, it was the moment on Sunday, without a doubt. The, the, the first moment would have been on the third hole on Thursday, number 12. And I'd started off, um, I made a bad bogey on 10, and then the par 5, 11, I had to make like a 10-footer to save par. And on 12, I hit my second shot back left, and the pin is kind of front right. And I've got all the green, I've got all the room in the world to work with, and I completely flub a chip. And I leave myself at least 40 feet. And, and I'm thinking to myself, 
okay, this is how it's going to be. Um, I got my best friend that lives in Seattle. Um, we're going late on Thursday, early on Friday. We could catch a flight out, my wife and I. We can be there Friday night for dinner, go downtown, Metropolitan Grill, this and that. And I'm thinking about already going to Seattle the next week for the WGC event. And I'm not even thinking about making this putt. And I get up there and I, I just kind of going through the motions and it goes in. And I go, okay, let's just take a TV timeout here and, and start over again. And, and I did. I, I had a tough opening round. I, I made, uh, I think I made like six birdies, six pars, and six bogeys. But I had to fight it out. And then I, then I started kind of kicking into gear. But uh, that was the first moment that I kind of had to, had to stop and reset myself. It was the third hole of the tournament, <laughs> funny enough. But then seven on Sunday, yeah, that was kind of a make or break moment. We had, we had a number that would have got us probably to the middle part of the green and the pin was kind of not all the way back, but three quarters of the way back. And, and we just kind of thought, my caddy and I, we just talked about it and I just go, you know what? We haven't laid up all week. Why are we going to start now? And that literally is what I said. And we just went ahead and pulled out the three wood and hit it. I didn't, to be fair, I didn't hit it that great, but I hit it. I hit it good enough to, to get it to the front edge. But that was one of those moments where everything could have gone wrong. I could have pulled it left in the water. I could have, I could have missed it out way to the right and, and had an impossible chip. I could have done a bunch of different things. But our feeling has never been, or my feeling has never been to, to lay up if I think I can get there. I mean, the worst thing that can ever happen to me on a golf course is when they put the flag sticks in. Because there's nothing sexier looking to me on a golf course than a flag stick. Not even the beer cart girl is that good. I mean, if there's a flag stick, I can get to it. I can. I can. And I will show you that I can. And more times than not, I will fail. But I'm going to go after that flag stick eight days a week. You're coming down the stretch on Sunday in O2. Are you looking at the leaderboard? Are you aware of this potential different outcome than you winning? Right? Are you are you thinking about that? I mean, you had you had a lot of, you know, you you were pressed. You, you know, it was it was as close as can be, right? Well, you know, I thankfully I, I did look at leaderboard and it it almost hurt me because <clears throat> I, I looked at leaderboards, but <clears throat> the reason I looked at it is because when I made the birdie on thirteen, it was right in my through line, and then I figured out that I got a six stroke lead with five to go, and then you kind of think. Well, this ball's in my court. I'm kind of the only one that can screw this thing up. And and I, that round was probably one of the best rounds I've ever, I've ever played. Um, ball striking-wise, I didn't miss a fairway. I get up the next tee shot, and I hit it right down the middle of the fairway, find a divot, and end up making bogey. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is that's not really what I wanted to see. But, um, you know, w- when you know that it's yours to kind of lose – you, you think some people would start playing defense, but that was never, that was never going to be my MO. I was going to try and play offense as best I could the entire way through. The good news is though, is that ahead of me, Tiger was playing with Fred Funk and Fred Funk was having a, a feel good story week as well. He talked about his brother uh, and his battles with alcoholism. And so people rallied around Fred because he got emotional talking about it after the first round. So every time I hear a roar, uh, from the group ahead, I kept thinking to myself, way to go, Fred. Nice birdie. Way to go. Knowing full well that it was probably Tiger knocking him in. But, you know, I never once thought about, I never thought about what it would be like to win it. I never thought about what Tiger was doing. I never thought about 
anything other than what myself and then watch, watching Justin Leonard do. That's that's that was my only focus all day long. I just I didn't find any why why would I think about what somebody else is doing when I've got such a massive lead and I'm the only one that can mess it up. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, keep making birdies as you know if you can and and let's ride this thing out so we get to the 72nd hole. But yeah, I I, I can honestly say I, n- I never once thought about what Tiger was doing. I love that. I love that. Around the world, in the rel- in the realm of golf, what what's the most interesting thing you've seen, kind of culturally, in the game of golf? You know, as, as your travels internationally, what have you seen that's been like, wow, I would never have expected that on a golf course. Um, you know, I've been to some pretty interesting spots, um, and. There's been a couple of things that were pretty interesting. One in Heinen Island where they have, um, what, 10 golf courses, I think, that they built down there, uh, Mission Hills. Well, they have pictures on the wall of the building process and to build the big hotel convention center and the golf course on site there that's right next to the hotel took them, took them I think it was 14 months from the time they broke ground um, until everything was completely open. And to me, that was that was absolutely mind blowing how something could get done that quickly. And and I'm not trying to be, but it was done in China where they have different rules and regulations. There's no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> I think going to I think going to golf in the Middle East is always very interesting because you get to see two different cultures that you just didn't think that would ever ever collide, and yet. You're out there walking the fairways, uh, doing commentary, and you see the locals dressed in in their gear, and you're just like, okay, that's something I hadn't seen before, you know. And you've got, you know, when you walk off the 18th green, they've got a camel that you can go sit on and and do, and they've got falconry and things like that. But I mean, there's just so many things that if you take the time when you do travel and you and you look for for something a little bit different, it's it's pretty extraordinary. You've you've traveled all over the world, obviously. And but Morocco to me is still the coolest place in the world when it comes to a golf course because when I played there in 2012, the golf course was literally in the king's backyard, and and there's no you couldn't take any photos and video, but I did. Um, but I'm not a good rules follower. Um, <clears throat> but the um, I, I heard stories about the pin placements being in the same hole, being in the same area as they were the year before. And I go, come on. He go, no, this golf course, I guarantee it, if it's been played, it's been played probably once since we were there last. I said, really? I said, yeah. So I go and I walk around the golf course on Monday, and I'm telling you, there wasn't a divot out of the fairway. There wasn't a pitch mark on the green, and the poles looked like they'd been sitting there in the same spot. And I asked the tournament director, I said, so I hear stories about how this course hasn't been played in a while. Oh, no, 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 that's just, they're, they're just making those stories up. I said, really? So when was the last time you somebody played? Oh, we had a foursome of doctors out here in October. Eric, it was March when we played there. <laughs> so this what? golf course hadn't been played at all. What's the name of the course? It was, um, it was just, uh, it's an Agadir, and it's just Agadir, the... the right. The Palace Golf Course, I think. I don't even. I don't even know if it has a name because there's no clubhouse. I, it's that the I know King's. About. It's the King's Course. I tried to play it and I. I was denied sharply. So, so here's a great. Here's a great thing about that. Now, 
everybody asks, what's the, what's the most exclusive golf course in the world? And people come up with Pine Valley, Augusta National, you know, these, these golf courses that it's hard to get onto. And I go, but how do you get on that golf course, Eric? I mean, you, you can't. I have no idea. So imagine, you know, remember back to First Tee 2002 Sunday at the PGA Hazeltine. Now, you've got that in your mind. Can you help us all as amateurs calm our nerves on the first tee? Well, what do we do? How do we do that? You did it. How do we do it? Um, the first thing you got to do is embrace them. Um, I think too many times guys get nervous and you fight it and you try and say, stop being so nervous. Why am I so nervous? Well, you're nervous because you care. Um, so the first thing you got to do is, is stop fighting it and accept it and and use it and, and use it to your advantage and the way you can do that is by saying okay i'm nervous once you accept it and you realize okay this is not going to go away then you say okay how can i make myself slow down that's when the breathing techniques come in a little bit it's not even techniques it's just sitting there just breathing and knowing that you're nervous for a for very good reason in um you wanted to be here. You put yourself in this position. This is what you strived for. Listen, you're you're there because you put the time and effort and energy into doing it. So if you're nervous on the first tee or the or the last hole of the club championship, Eric, that you really want to win, well, isn't this what you wanted? Isn't this what you so try and enjoy it? You know what? It it sucks being this nervous, but you know what? I'm here. I've made it. This is this is what I this is why I, I travel the world and I hit all these golf balls and I do all the things that I do because I want this. This is it. I've you know and I that's how I look at it. I it's hard. It really is hard because nobody wants to be that nervous. It it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And trust me, when I play in the PGA championship every single year, I, I am as nervous from the opening tee shot, I very rarely have a shot where I'm not, it doesn't have my full attention because of what's going on, just because I don't play that much anymore. But I love it. I love it all the same. And if you just embrace it and say, listen, I put the work in, I put the effort in, that's why I'm nervous. Now let's just go ahead and let's just deal with it. I mean, it really is kind of that simple because you're, you're nervous because you you wanted to be there. You really do. I love it. I love it. Hey, man. Thanks, Rich, so much. You're, 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 you're a great guy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you having me, bud. Okay. Bye. Next up, we have Marty Jertson. Marty is a PGA professional who has been designing golf equipment with Ping dating back to their 2016 Ping Rapture hybrid launch. He's now the vice president of fitting and performance at Ping. Recently, Marty gained attention for making the cut in the 2019 PGA Championship at Bethpage Black. He also played in the 2011, 2012, and 2018 PGA Championships. Pushing 40, right? Marty is really a, a testament to finding your game as you age. Marty is the human equivalent of a bottle of golf wine. He is just getting better and better and better. Um, really interesting discussions with him range from what it's like to stand on the tee in a major holding a club that you designed. 
I mean, I don't think any of us have the capability of really fathoming what that must be like. And for Marty, it's normal. So I don't know. Might need to, you know, dig deeper on that with him at another time. He studied engineering while playing golf in a D2 program. He played mini tours and for one year after graduation. Um, he was able to leverage his analytical background with his golfing ability to land a job at Ping in 2014. So he's been there for 16 years. Uh, so anyway, enjoy the convo with Marty Jertson. He is the kind of guy who, if you're into technology and into golf technology specifically, I feel like you could actually have a conversation with him that literally just doesn't end. It just would, you would be stuck there. Like if you're with Rich Beam and you are at the layover, then Marty pulls up. And then you're just there. You're never going to leave that conversation ever. It's sort of like, um, what's it called? Uh, what's it called when you, when you're, touch with a P. Come on, purgatory. You're 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 hung in purgatory with a golf conversation. By the way, I should tell you now, this podcast doesn't end. It is a never-ending purgatorial podcast with Marty and Rich, and we're about to add two more flavors after Marty. So, without further ado. Enjoy the conversation with PGA professional Marty Jertson. Um, Marty, you, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to contextualize who you are within the spotlight of golf. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, I think, you know, some people ask me what I do and it's, it's, you know, I think when you have a hard time answering exactly, you know, I think that means there's some, uh, some uniqueness in terms of, uh, um, just skill stack or whatever you want to call it. Just problems I'm trying to solve for the golf industry. Problems I'm trying to solve for the golf industry. What tops that list? Uh, you know, I think with my job at Ping, I feel like I'm in a unique position, Eric, to uh, to bring things I'm personally passionate about to, to scale and to volume. And so that's really ultimately what motivates me is to help deliver tools and things tour players normally have access to and give those to the common golfer. And, you know, I would say if I had to summarize my motivation, what I get up to do on the, on the professional working side of the contribution to the industry, I, w- I would say that kind of summarizes it. Um, you, uh, what's your favorite thing in golf though? You know I mean? You've got, you've got engineer, you've got designer, you've got player, I'm sure you've taught some people both, you know, officially and unofficially. You've played in some of the best locations in the world with the best players in the world and you've and you've and you've held your own. What's 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 the experience that if 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 it was said you only get one more, what are you what are you going to and is it an easy choice? Oh, no, it's a very tough choice because I'm uh, I'm very fortunate. I know that, you know, I'm fortunate on one hand to create things you know, that have solved problems for golfers that they really like. And I'm also very fortunate to compete at the highest level at times. But, uh, you know, I have the freedom that my livelihood doesn't depend on that. And that's unique. I don't know. That's a very tough choice. Um, I think I would have to lean actually towards just creating things, you know, creating products, the driver designs and other solutions, because I know so many people can enjoy that. You know, you go play in those tournaments and there's an element of, you know, everyone who's helped you get there along the way gets to take part in that, you know, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's a little bit, it's an experience very personal to yourself of what it's like to be out there and have those experiences. So that's, that's a, 
That's a very tough question for me. Okay, so how about this? You go to Bethpage. You're, I'm assuming, holding a driver in your hands on the first tee that you created? Yeah. Okay, but then at the end of the tournament, you get a different experience. You get to stand there with someone else. How do you equate those those two polar experiences that really no one else there had? Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 Bethpage was really neat. I mean, that was the ultimate pinnacle for me. and my, my lifelong dream as a player was to make the cut in a major, you know, just to prove that you could hang to, the experience of playing the weekend, you know. I've had a handful of experiences. You probably talked to the other guys. You, you get there and, and man, it's just the, the odds are, are against you to, to make the cut and hang in there. And to have that, you know, late morning tea time on Saturday and how serene that was. You go to the range and it's not everybody out there. It's just a handful of guys out there warming up. I wanted to experience that. I'm actually getting chills just thinking about how fun that weekend was. I'm, I want to I wanna create that again. How do you, I mean, because I'm, I'm right, you, you stood on the first tee with Brooks during the ceremony at the end with the trophy. Yeah, that, that was amazing uh, to be right there with him, the whole ceremony that happened. Then we got to go inside and there's another little ceremony that takes place with all the PJ of America volunteers and staff. And he, you know, he gave a little speech a little, in a little more intimate setting uh quite amazing you know and especially uh, kudos to Susie Whaley and the PGA of America for having all three of us who competed that's very rare um to have that that many of us do that good in the, in the event to have us all there for that ceremony uh you know it's tough to describe Eric just uh it kind of seems like a dream the whole thing seemed like a little bit of a little bit of a dream dream that came true does Brooks say anything to you in these moments where you're walking together, sort of, you know, in a sense, like equals? Yeah, he was very cordial to us. You know, he, he has a lot of respect for the PJ professionals who were there and made the cut. He said some very nice words to all of us, how proud he was of us and, and recognized what we had done that week, you know. And he's coming right off. I mean, he's five minutes or ten minutes away from that very stressful, very stressful finish where he's just barely hanging in there and the wind's blowing like crazy and things were very different. Um, you know, it was kind of funny when I had finished my, uh, morning round, he would, he had strolled in the locker room for his, uh, his final group tea time, uh, on Sunday. So, uh, and to see him in there, how calm he was and how confident he was, um, man, he's just, obviously it makes him what he is, is the major killer, but he was very respectful to us and what we had done that week. I love this. Um, if I was an alien, can you explain to me what the PGA of America does? What does it mean? What is it? What, how do you, how would you get an alien to say, yes, I would like to, you know, be a part of this? Yeah, that's a good question, Eric. So the PGA of America is, uh, is an organization of professionals that helps grow and foster how healthy uh, the sport of golf is from a business standpoint, right? So that could be any aspect of it from a business standpoint. Uh, you know, we have the sport golf. Uh, you're hitting a, little, a ball around with a stick, trying to score as low as possible. It gives you intermittent reward. It's addicting. People love it. And there's a business around that. And the PGA of America is a group of or is a large group of individuals that have one common 
goal, which is to create, uh, create and foster the health of the entire industry of golf, the business of it, you know, helping golfers play better, uh, running golf courses, being college golf coaches. You could be like me in the equipment side and helping, helping out the industry from that. So we're all joined together for the health of each other and to grow the business of the game and, uh, and, and help golfers enjoy this great sport even more. How many hole in ones do you have? Man, I think I have. Doesn't even know. Seven. Seven. He thinks seven. Not a ton. Not a ton. It's all rel- It's all relative, I guess. <laughs> it really is, huh? I haven't if had you have one seven, in over you a want decade. Eight. I just yeah. What was the last one? Tell me the story. Last hole in one I had, I think, was at uh, Anthem Country Club here in North Phoenix. And uh, just playing with a coworker of mine. It was kind of uphill. It was an uphill uh, green, kind of a blind green, pitched away. Hit a beautiful iron shot in there, and you know, hit it just right of the hole, maybe ten feet right of the hole, and no, no one's going to kick left. But it was blind. Went up there, uh, couldn't, didn't see it over the green. Looked in the cup, there it was, boom. But the fun part was at the time. I don't know if it still holds, but I ended up shooting sixty three, which was the course record. So. It was fun to have a hole in one and shoot the course record at the same time. Wait a minute. So, so why I get the feeling from you that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the hole in one doesn't really blow you away because I guess the course record is a little bit more legit because only one person has the course record. Right. <laughs> that's what that's I how you know you're a baller. That that's that's how you know. I mean, you got your priorities in check. That's for sure. <laughs> um. You, um, you spent a lot of time around amateurs, spent a lot of time, obviously, working on club fitting. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, the, the question as it's written is, what's the most common mistake? But, but I kind of want to go a step further. What's the most common mistake that you see amateurs make that is also really easy to solve? Uh, I would say it's the, the, the number one thing is core strategy. I mean, if you, if you, the easiest thing to solve for the amateur golfer is, you know, play the right set of tees, number one, and be, be more realistic with your core strategy. You know, so many golfers, I mean, and we, we, we know this with our stats of, of how, what the probability is for the golfers are going to come up short thinking they're going to hit the perfect shot into the green that's going to hit their maximum distance that they hit one out of 50 times. But if they just improve their decision-making on core strategy, that would go a long ways. And there's a lot of great tools out there now that can help you with that, which is good. Uh, but just taking more club into the greens and core strategy, that'd be the easiest thing. You don't even need to change your mechanics or put any work into your practice, you know? Um, so I would say that's probably the lowest hanging fruit is just strategy, in, in number one. But obviously, we could go down a pecking order from there. Sure. Um, so... With your well, you're not moonlighting as a as a club designer. This this is your day job. Yeah, well, yeah, that's my day job. You moonlight as Brooks Kepka's like kind of like a competition, basically. Um, so in your day job, what what has been the project that's really kind of tested you or been the most satisfaction? Yeah, it's uh, I would say Eric, it's been the dry. I like working on the driver designs. You know, I've worked on a lot of things. I've worked on a putting app using an iPhone and an iPod that uses all the MEM sensors and things of that nature. But, but I use that app. I remember yeah, that I one. Yeah, that was big time. The the one that measures tempo. Yep. Oh yeah, I was big into that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
that was a fun one because I went back to my college days and you know got to dig into accelerometers and gyroscopes and all the math behind it and turn it into an app and useful for people. So that was a lot of fun. But enabled by Apple and Steve Jobs, thank you very, thank you for bringing us that te technology to help us do that. So it was a, it it was crazy. This was your idea. Yeah. So basically, he takes the accelerometer from the phone, makes a clip on the shaft of the putter, and then the phone becomes the accelerometer. And that is what enabled you to see the, um, you know, the backswing versus the downswing. And, and, it, and it then compared you on a score level to the ping professionals. I mean, it was brilliant. Yeah, we created that handicap score. So the, basically, the, you know, the tighter your distribution is, the lower your handicap. We just measured people. That's, that's how it worked. Man, I'm pumped right now. Um, okay, so so um, when you look back at all of the PGA championships that have been held over the years, as a technological mind, do you just marvel at a hickory club, at a, at a persimmon, at a steel shafted driver or three wood? Do you do you just sort of do do you know how much harder it was? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're probably similar age, I would, I would assume. And growing up as a kid, I mean, I, I played a, a wood wood with a steel shaft was my very first club I, I hit balls with and a lot of ball. And even today, when we have new engineers at Ping that are younger, we take them out to the range with a wood wood and a lot of ball. We've got a, we've got a stash of them and we have them go hit it to, to, to realize how hard it is because you got to understand that evolution. Um, to kind of to have a, have respect for the journey we're going on. So, yeah, but it's it's amazing. I think you got to give a lot of credit to how good the, the the golfers in that day were with that equipment. And the, you know, I, you know, we're seeing massive changes in strategy of of how golfers are playing the game. And a lot of it's you know enabled by you know the improvements that we've made to the equipment and the golf ball. Marty. That was really great, man. I'm really looking forward to meeting. I know we've we've emailed in the past a long time ago. A long time ago. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, so it's really great to get some FaceTime and uh, you know, I look forward to meeting you and of course, you know, I'll see you in Arizona and I'm and I wanna I want I wanna see the new version of the app and everything. So um thank you. Yeah, you got it. All right, hitting you up at the ad break here. I got a couple to run through. Jones golf bags, y'all made in Portland. These bags are uh, they go back to the seventies. You're going to recognize these if you're older. And if you're not, you're going to be like, those look retro. They're awesome. Well, they are awesome. And they're also wonderfully priced. They also have some random golf club bags. Uh, we are getting a new bag up and running. So check back on the website for that. We're currently sold out of all the current bags that we have through Jones. Um, but stay tuned. You can sign up for the mailing list at randomgolfclub.com or head over to Jones Golf Bags. Follow them on Instagram, Jones underscore sports underscore co. They make the best bags in the biz. They've got dual straps, single straps. They probably have a triple strap. They've got stand bags. Um, they my One of the best is I like the original bag. I like the player series. I also like the Ranger or the Rover. One of the two. Either way, I love that bag. And I love the guys that make up Jones. Very proud to welcome a new sponsor to the Random Golf Club universe, that's Whoop. You may have seen me wearing a, quote, watch on my right wrist. That's not a watch, it's a Whoop strap. 
W H O O P, and they're offering uh, a discount. I don't quite know what it is. It could be fifteen percent. I don't know. It's pro- it could be more uh, if you use the code E A L. And um, my experience with this wonderful device, this wearable technology, is that it helps me get better sleep. It helps me understand the strain that I'm going through throughout the day, whether I'm you know on the bike, it connects to my Peloton, or whether I'm just walking eighteen holes of golf. Which, by the way actually is pretty strenuous. I didn't really realize that's why I need a nap in the middle of the day, folks, if I play a 6 a.m. round. Um, But definitely go check it out. They've obviously, you probably heard the news that they gave one out to every PGA Tour player because it actually has been proven to help identify, um, you know, subtle, I guess, biometric changes in your body that could lead to uh, early um, uh, detection of COVID. So, you know, a lot of reasons to try this thing. A lot of athletes have been loving it, obviously, Rory and Justin Thomas. So check that out. All right, folks. Features. Here's the thing about these socks. They're not spelled F-E-A-T. They're spelled F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. The big thing about features is it's a small change that can make a huge difference. And we've all seen this in our swing changes, our swing thoughts, our swing tips. Maybe you change the ball. Maybe you play a vice ball. I don't know. But, uh, you know, these tiny little differences can make a huge impact on the game. And Features is in that family as well. It's a compression sock. It's used for running. Uh, It's very breathable. And, uh, I mean, my experience with them is like, have you ever had a really, really good burrito? Right? And it's just like it's not too wet. It's not too dry. It's perfect temperature. These are burritos for your feetos. I'm telling you. Like, not... They're, they're breathable burritos for your Fitos. So definitely uh, take advantage of this code here, folks. Anyway, coming to the end, feature socks will change how you feel about socks forever. And you can get a $10 off on your first pair of features when you use the code ERIC, E-R-I-K, at features.com, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S.com. Promo code ERIC for $10 off your first pair. Um, then Just a couple notes on the sock itself. Targeted compression hugs the arch of your foot. Imagine that burrito getting down there on your feetos, keeping the sock in place and preventing it from bunching, slipping, or sliding down into your shoe. Who likes that? I don't like that. They've fixed the problem that I don't like. The anatomical design conforms to the left and right shape of your foot, so get them on the correct foot, my friends. Creating an enhanced custom-like fit, kind of like a burrito. It reduces discomfort. I love reducing discomfort. Those two words are key. Also, they maximize comfort. I added that. And prevents blisters so you can focus on your game. (laughs) Features features helps enhance your game so you can play harder, faster, stronger. (laughs) They wrote that. (laughs) Anyway, they're good socks, I'll say. Lifetime guarantee. For his, for the lifetime of who? You or the... Features are so durable and long-lasting that they will outlive you. No, they didn't write that. That if you're unsatisfied at any point, they'll give you a replacement pair. No questions asked. Um, Features is a proudly family-owned business. And this is where we hit the metal to the road. The pedal to the metal, the road to the rubber. Hi, get Hugh Gaither. Not high. I can't read. Hugh Gaither founded the company in 2002, and now he and his son John, his both of his sons, John and Joe, own and operate the company in North Kakalaka. 
Carolina. Their mission is to create products that help you achieve your personal best. I can get down with that. Let's let's support Hugh, John, and Joe in their mission of reducing discomfort. Um, no, but seriously, check out features. F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. Use the code Eric to get 10 bucks off and support a quality family-owned business down in North Kakalakit. TaylorMade, folks. TaylorMade is a family, and it's a team. They've been so generous with their staff players for the Ace Cam videos for us, and obviously the Sim Driver has changed my life. I can now I can drive the ball seven thousand yards, and it actually it hits me in the in the butt. It goes so far, um, but definitely check out all of the things from TaylorMade. I love those guys. Vice, Vice, Vice. It's a golf ball. It's got style. It's got class. But even more importantly, it performs as good as the top performing balls for half the price. So check out the Vice commercials. You may have seen those. I don't know if you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Um, We've got a random golf club ball coming out very soon. They're on a truck. I think we have – there's so many balls that they're bringing them in. I don't even know how they bring them in. They're probably not on a plane because it would weigh the plane down. I don't even know. Check up randomgolfclub.com for the Vice balls coming up. Precision Pro. Also big news for Precision Pro coming soon. You've heard me talk about it. I think I can definitively say we're going to be launching this in the middle of August. The Random Golf Club Precision Pro Rangefinder comes with free battery replacement for life. It's got a magnet on it. We're going to get the NX9 with the RGC branding. And then all of the other rangefinders they make are wonderful. It's a wonderful family operation up there in Cincinnati. Great crew. Um, And then we have um, Standby. All right. Now I realize why I was stumbling is because I didn't have what I needed to have to tell you about keeps, folks. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. That's the key. They didn't underline that, but I'm underlining it for you. Get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to keeps... You can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to the pharmacy checkout lines, not fun during COVID, and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Quite possible. Prevention is key. Keeps... Keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results, so it's important to act fast. Literally, press pause and get this. Uh, The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. You're not even saving money. You're saving hairs. We're splitting hairs here, folks. Okay, sorry. I'm going to stop. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men. Trust, that's that's an army. That's an army, folks. 100,000 hairy men, by the way. They're hairy for sure. Um, keeps, keeps, Snowball. Snowball, you have enough hair. Relax. He's hypoallergenic, so he doesn't even lose it. It's like, come on, man. It's an embarrassment of riches over there, Snowball. It's all white, I know. But you you were born with white hair. Okay, moving on. Keeps, uh, their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments starts at just $10 per month. Plus, $10 a month? That's a good deal. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. Required talking points. This is written in red. Use your talking points what to guide the narrative, but to put it in your own words. Whoops, too late for that. Uh, 
Okay, I think we're good. Keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S.com slash Anders. That's my name, folks. That's how you get a discount. If you're ready to take action, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Anders to receive your first month of treatment free. That's ten bucks off, y'all. If they, if you do it for a year, that's eight percent. Quick math. Uh K E E P S dot com slash Anders. Um keep, uh we uh oh, we do keep customer before and after photos. That's cool. There's our online. You can go look at customer before and after photos. Keeps.com. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Bunch of other stuff that they told me not to do. Pretty sure I didn't do it. Anyway, much love to y'all. Check out Keeps.com and check out all of our other partners that support RandomGolfClub.com and go to RandomGolfClub.com to check out stories, merch, community, and more. Membership coming soon. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. All right, folks. Rob LeBritz is the director of golf at Glen Arbor Golf Club in Bedford Hills, New York. He's a teaching professional, humble man, as well as an accomplished golfer. He won the low club professional at the 2019 PGA Championship at Bethpage Black. His 29 career victories in PGA professional events hosted across the world. Around the world. He has a YouTube channel. Wait, he's a competitor to me. Get this guy off the show. He has a YouTube channel featuring a series of videos entitled The Rob LeBritz Minute. Um... Rob is one of these guys where, you know, in the interview I said, are you kind of like a celebrity in the PGA world? You know, like here he's just low club pro, you know, he's he's just getting all of these, you know, amazing golf ability, you know, accolades and stats. And for him, he's just a normal guy, man. He's just got two kids, he works at a golf course, and he loves the game. And the game's given him a lot, and he's given a lot to the game. So... More folks like Rob LeBritz in the world. Hopefully some of his spirit within the game of golf rubs off on y'all while you're riding the lawnmower or driving the car or whatever it is you're doing right now. So anyway, enjoy Rob LeBritz. I feel like Rob is the kind of guy that you might not run into him on a layover, but if you ran into him at a golf course, it'd be a great round of golf to spend with Rob. So again, without further ado, enjoy PGA Professional, Low Club Professional, the 2019 Bet Championship PGA Championship at Beth Page Black. That's just a cool, cool thing to have on your wall. Rob LeBritz. Yeah, so, you know, to qualify the interview, are, are, do I refer to you, Rob, as a director of golf or as a seven-time major champion competitor? Uh, you know, PGA professional is uh, probably my best uh, title, so we can go with that. How's that? When you say PGA professional, what does that mean like about you what does that say about you i think it just flows through my blood it's um it's the only thing that i've ever done since i was four years old uh i grew in love with the game lived on a little golf course in sellington connecticut grew in love with the game uh in my backyard and uh ever since then i just figured uh golf was going to be my road to my life and uh, i found all these cool avenues to uh, uh you know to make it work like this so uh, here we are I feel like that's incredible. 
But I also feel like you're not alone. I feel like there's a lot of men and women that feel the way you feel. Tell me about the community. The community is awesome. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you're in the business, I guess, as long as I have been since, I guess, uh, you know, as a PGA professional since 1991, uh, playing since I was four, I'm 49 now. Um, the community is, um, it's just everybody that loves the game. Um, you know, we're a, we're a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Um, we care about each other. Uh, we, we help each other. We're here to uh, educate each other, help each other's golf games. Um, it's just one of these all-encompassing, I don't know, you almost call it a cult-like feeling, but uh, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't use those terms lightly. It's, um, it's just a great, great community of people, like you say, um, that are just bound by one sport, which is golf, from all walks of life. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we have business leaders, we have um, doctors, lawyers, um, you know, everybody that plays golf is connected by the sport. And that's what's really cool about it. So in America, we've got 30,000 PGA pros. Is that right? Yes. Are you a bit of a celebrity in this community? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I don't. You must know. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess sitting here in front of you doing an interview, maybe people would call that. But I'm just doing what I love. I, I love the game of golf. I, I love talking about it. It's the one thing that I that uh, that I've been given, you know, um, and I've worked my tail off uh, to achieve the highest level that I can personally, uh, on a business level and on a, on a professional uh, athlete level. So um, you can call me that. Great, it might sound really cool, but I, I'm just Rob, PGA professional, father of two, one more to come here in another few months. So uh, you know, just uh, I'm just a blessed man. Who loves the game of golf? <laughs> I love that. Uh, the road to the 2020 PGA Championship is upon us, quickly approaching. Um, San Francisco is in your travel plans. Can you talk a little bit about what you're looking for from your eighth major as a as a as a PGA professional? You know, that's a, another good one. Um, I'm looking. To, I want to play some great practice rounds with some of the best players on the planet. Um, that's what I want to do, uh, starting out the week. Uh, I want to play with the Tigers and the Brookses and the, and the Justin Thomases and the Webb Simpsons and, and anybody that's in the field is one, is one of the great players. Um, and you know, I want to get to know Harding Park and then I want to go out there and, um, you know, play to the best of my ability. I am, I'm prep, people say, you're prepping for the PGA, you know, I'm prepping for, for playing golf my entire life every day. So, uh, you know, what will I do coming up in these upcoming weeks? You know, I'll trim my lesson book a little bit. Um, I'll get a little bit more rest. Um, I won't put in the 12 to 14 hour days. Uh, I'll probably put in, you know, 11 to 13 hour days <laughs> and uh, have a couple extra hours to practice so I can uh, go out there and just enjoy the week and uh, learn. I'm a constant learner. And, um, you know, I just want to see what the best players in the world are doing and I want to compete against them. And, um, you know, as a club pro, I mean, who could ask for anything more? What about uh, Harding Park has you intrigued? What are you, what are you kind of curious about or, or nervous about or excited about, like from, from a, just a course standpoint? So excited about the, uh, the publicness of it. I love public tracks, grew up on one, played Bethpage last year, with, which was a public track. 
Um, you know, it's it's uh, those kind of. I grew up on a public track, so you know that, that's kind of like going back to your roots. Excited about um, excited about seeing you know Harding Park. I've never played out there. Um, excited to be in the San Francisco area. I mean, Golden Gate Bridge. You got all this great stuff up there to to, to go see. So um, and I love the weather. I love cool weather. So all those things are are what I'm looking forward to. Excited about. Yet there's something about golf in the fog and in the cold weather with a little bit of rain. It just fits the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the crop usually rises to the top in, uh, in bad weather. And, um, you know, so people get frustrated out there. You know, not the best players in the world, but uh, you just got to be able to play in any elements. It's, it's, and, you know, we have so much good clothing now to like, take care of. It. It's not even like we're playing in the elements unless it's like British Open stuff. Of, of all the things that being a PGA pro has taught you about golf, what has it really taught you about life? Um, for me, it's about getting people from all walks of life engaged and excited about the sport. Uh, the sport itself has, has been the, you know, the, the driving force behind my life, I guess. You know, golf is, it's, it's been, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a PGA professional. I'm sure I'd find something, but I, I don't know what that would be. I, I've thought about it at length and just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I, I think I was born and bred to be a PGA of America uh, professional. I've always wanted to be the guy who bridged the gap between, you know, the the, the PGA Tour player and the PGA of America professional and the rest of the world. Uh, you, can, you can do all this really cool stuff with this game of golf. The people that you can meet, the places you go, it's just an incredible sport. And I, I just wear it on my sleeve, it's in my veins, it's in my, you know, I, I probably didn't even answer your question, but I just get excited about, you know, talking about the game and I just know that, uh, you know, it's, it's just such a special thing to me. I mean, our whole lives, my whole life is revolving around the sport from morning to night. And then I actually sometimes have to catch myself and turn it off so I can, you know, just, just, just you know, forget about it for a little bit. I mean, how, how much can you be focused on one thing your entire life? I mean, but that's what happens. I mean, at least that's what's happened with me. And, and I've surrounded myself with my family and, and they, they see it. Um, and they don't generally take the same, you know, excitedness that I do about it, but uh, they understand me and they, they let me kind of just run with it. Um, when you arrive at the first tee at Harding Park, where are you at? Where, where, where is Rob at with the conversation that he's having with himself? Well, first of all, you know, when I go to any tournament, I go into the tournament knowing that I've prepared myself to the best of my ability. So I've shot rounds, you know, four or five rounds, eight rounds, 10 rounds, 12 rounds, you know, more under par. I'm living more under par than I am over par. So uh, I know that when I get to the first tee, I just want to learn what the golf course has to do, what I have to do out there. I've got to learn what it's going to give to me. I've got to learn what the conditions are. I've got to learn, you know, is it hard? Is it soft? Is it fast? Is it slow? You know, where to miss it, where not to miss it. So when I get down the first tee, that's the excitedness in me trying to not rush through it, but um, that's what goes through my brain. I, I want to just find out everything that I can on the golf course so I can 
you know, save some shots, uh, find places to attack the, the golf course, find places to not attack. Um, you know, the first tee is always filled with excitement for me, uh, and especially on the first tee of a major championship. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to hit the first uh, tee ball of, of, off the first tee in the first group, first person of two major championships. So um, I always kind of call back on that because that's, that's why I play the game. That's why I got into it when I was, you know, five years old, hitting balls in the back. Of course, I didn't know what that was all about then. You just liked the joy of hitting the golf ball. And then uh, when you see what you can do and where it can take you, it's, um, you know, it just, it just, it just goes through you. It's, it, it engulfs you as a person and, and you just want to go out there and, and, you know, do your best. And you want to see if your skill level can match that of the golf course. How does the crowd react to you when you're playing in a major? Like, 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 how how are they responding to you? Do they care? Do they know you? Are they like, Rob, let's go? Uh, you know, in any other city, but Beth Page, probably they don't know me. <laughs> you know, I've been like, you know, I've had some random people come up to me in airports across the world, and I've been, are you Rob Prince? Can I get your autograph? I'm like, wait a minute, me? Yeah, <laughs> but you know, Beth Page was really cool because uh you know i've been a new yorker now since 2000 i guess and um it's 20 years I mean, two decades up here um i really that crowd got behind me 100 i mean i you know not you want guys throwing your, their shirts at you but i had guys throwing shirts at me to autograph and you know we had rob's mob out there and, and people were holding up signs for yellow golf balls i love it i love interacting with the crowd um, I mean, I, you know, they're out there to watch you. They're out there to, to watch you do what you love. So, man, I love what I do. So I'm going to try to bring as many people under the ropes, inside the ropes, as much as I can do to get them jazzed about the game. Because I know that in 20 years or 15 years or whatever it is, how old or old they are, they're going to remember that one time. Because I've been playing majors now since 2002, and I still have people coming up to me from 2002 and 2003 saying, man, I remember you came right up to me in the, you know, the 14th hole and said hello to me. And I mean, I, you know, that's just awesome, <laughs> right? I mean, to, for somebody to like, to remember that and 20 years later bring it up to you when they randomly see you or they see you in a tournament, it's, it's just amazing feeling. So I guess the reach of, of people, you know, is, God, it's so just great. It's awesome. <laughs> that's incredible, man. I love that. How has your success as a professional golfer informed your ability to teach or, or their tactics for, for training? I think it's given me a, a huge boost of confidence. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of instructors out there and they're great instructors. I'm not taking anything away from any instructor. Uh, people know way more than I do, okay? Um, I'm not saying I, you know, People know way more than I do. But what I do know is I do know how to compete. Um, I do know how to play on the world's biggest stage. And I do know how to coach. Um, so it gives me a, a, a almost, you know, like a leg up. What does it feel like to hit the first ball of a, of a major championship? What does it feel like to come up 18, you know, with, you know, 50,000 people looking at you? What does it feel like to make a triple? You know, what does it feel? I can answer all of those questions. So, and, and honestly, from personal experience. So it's, um, I think for my coaching, it gives me a confidence 
that I can really bring to my students and they, they see it and they also understand and, and see the joy I get out of making it better. Um, I'm, not, I'm not there to, to, to babysit you. Uh, I'm there to work with people who really want to get good at golf. Um, and I don't care if you're a 36 handicap or a guy trying to, you know, make the, make the Corn Ferry Tour or PGA Tour. I, I'm going to give you as much energy as I can. I'll be excited for the goals that you're going to reach because everybody's different. You know, everybody's got different abilities. And, and to see people play at the best of their ability, the joy people get out of this game. I mean, especially for, for, what, I, for what I've done. I mean, my goodness, if I can help people that way with my experiences, huh, I'm in. Count me in, coach. <laughs> I'm, I'm your guy. <laughs> I love that. So, so Rob Labritz, four years old, not even in school yet, holding a golf club. How old is Rob when he says, I want to play in a major? Wow, that's a good, not a good question. You got some good questions. Um, I was probably... I'd have to say 12 to 13 because I just finished playing. I was playing baseball a little bit too and played. I was pretty good. But but I remember the day. I was 12 years old and I couldn't wait. We were in, in our town championship and I, I couldn't wait for the town championship to end so I could get in the golf course. <laughs> you know? So once I got to the golf course, I just knew that that was my sport that I wanted because I was so happy there. Um, and I never played baseball again. Uh, and that's, I guess, so, you know, fast forward a year or two, started playing tournaments, you know, 13, 14, started doing well, I guess. And it's not just the, that I was doing well. I, I just loved to hit the golf ball and try to curve it, flight it, hit it in the hole. You know, I just, I don't know. It just, it was whatever it was the sport, you know, grabbed onto me. Um, my friend, my, one of my best friends still to this day, uh, you know, we grew up five houses down from each other. Uh, he's, he's, I think he's seventh in the world on long drive, fast Eddie Fernandez. We didn't miss a day together on the golf course. We played every day after school. As soon as we got off the bus, we whistled to each other. We meet each other on the first tee. So it was like, you know, that's when we started. When we started kind of pushing each other and playing in local junior tournaments and started to do well. And then, and then we just, you know, we, we wanted to play. Uh, so at 12 or 13, I wanted to play my first major championship. I, when I was telling myself this putt's for the U.S. Open or uh, this putt was to beat Jack Nicklaus back in the day because he was the guy to beat, um, you know, I knew something was, uh, my parents, I guess, knew. And then uh, they moved me down to Florida when I was uh, a junior in high school because they saw it. So I went from Connecticut to Florida. And, uh, you know, that's when my golf game really started to, uh, I played every day. You know, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And it kept me out of trouble. I got in trouble later in my late 20s, but it kept me out of trouble when I was, when I was younger. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Have a great night and a great week, and, and I look forward to uh, seeing you soon. Ditto. You guys, too. Thanks for all your time. And last but not least, Ryan Vermeer. Ryan is a PGA professional who had a brief career on the Buy.com Tour, the Web.com Tour, and the PGA Tour. He won the 2018 PGA Professional Championship and has competed in the 2017, 18, 
19, and obviously, like all of these gentlemen, will compete in the 2020 PGA Championship. He has had obvious success later in his career by earning spots in three straight PGA Championships. That is a line that I read that basically just reiterates the line I read before that. So that is not my fault that it was redundant. Honestly, I don't, you know, I we're going to move on. But born in Spencer, Iowa, he played golf at the University of Kansas from 97 to 2000. During college, Ryan won a record-setting seven events and earned All-American status in 99 and 2000. Ryan is uh, obviously a grinder. You get that feeling. You know, Ryan is one of these guys where you kind of probably go out there, play golf, and you're like, oh, hey, what are you doing? And he's like not going to really tell you. He's not going to tell you that he's played practice rounds with whoever on the planet and that, um, you know, he's just got a game that's as sharp as, I don't know, Tom Cruise's Japanese knife set. Not even sure if he has one, but I'm pretty sure Cruise does. You know, you look at that guy and you're like, you're still staring at me and you haven't looked away. What's your knife set like? That is like Ryan Vermeer's game. Not to mention he, like I said, has a bloodline that goes back to the brilliant painter, Johannes Vermeer from Denmark, which, I mean, if you didn't think golf was creative, I'm going to prove you wrong right there with that, more or less. More or less, that's the beginning and end of the argument there. The, 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 you know, the debate. So anyway, enjoy the conversation with Ryan Vermeer, and I'll see you. This is the outro if you're ready. See you in the showers. Not Ryan, you. You. Not Ryan. Ryan, I mean, maybe. I don't know. All are welcome. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Ryan, you know, you, you have probably one of the more unique, uh, golf lives on planet earth. And at what point I'm sure that people, you know, get paired up with you and they say, wow. Right. And they don't recognize you. And then when they find out your incredible, you know, competitive experience, what's the first question they ask you? Um, you know, I get a lot of questions as far as uh you know have you ever played the tour before you know because i've i've played professional golf for close to 20 years now um but you know never actually made it to the pga tour that was obviously the dream that i had you know as a very young kid um got as far as the corn Ferry tour i guess it was not called that when i played it but uh you know spent a year out there so i mean i i get you know the the typical why why'd you stop you know what made you give it up that kind of thing um you know and i think you know there's god but at this point in time there's thousands of guys that have you know similar experiences as far as trying to make the tour i think i'm just a little bit unique in what i've done since i quit playing full-time you know getting into the pga and you know going that route and having the success that i've had over the last few years um i think that's what makes my story a little bit different than others yeah, so that's the part I really want to talk about is you 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 worked as hard as you could and then you switched gears and you stopped playing professionally and then all of a sudden you start playing in majors a, a major maybe the one of the harder majors that existed you know that exists how you know when 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 people hear that when they hear that you made the cut at Beth Page what do they what do they say uh you know, obviously tons and tons of congratulations. I mean, you make the cut in a tournament like that, you know, most golfers and even non-golfers, they understand, you know, how big of a deal that is. They know that, you know, making the cut in any tournament professionally is not an easy thing to do. 
in a major championship, the level of golf course that you play, the level of field that you play, it takes it up, you know, a couple notches. So, you know, I think even the casual fan, you know, understands how, how big of a deal that is. So that's, uh, you know, that's definitely noticed, um, you know, but I, you know, for me, I guess the, the people that I've been around, they, you know, they've known that I've had the good enough golf game to, to play at that level for a long time. So I think more than anything, for a lot of them, it's relief that I've kind of lived the dream a little bit. Beth Page, probably one of the hardest courses, hardest public courses for sure in the United States. How do you attack it? How, how do you play better than a lot of pro golfers whose net worth is very, very, very high? How do you do that? How do you do that? Um, well, I mean, to be honest with you, Beth Page, I mean, ever since... I think it was 2000 when they hosted the U.S. Open out there, maybe 2002, or I can't remember exactly what year it was. But I remember all the lead-up into that and how big of a deal that it was that they were going to go play Bethpage and the story behind the golf course and everything. So, I mean, I really had my hopes set on playing in that U.S. Open, you know, that Tiger Woods won a long, long time ago. And I got through the sectional qualifying of the U.S. Open and, you know, made it. And I've actually, I remember playing with Andy Bean and Jason Duffner you know, in the final qualifying and actually played well enough in the morning that for the better part of the afternoon, I was in the mix to make the tournament. I didn't end up making it, but, um, you know, so to, to get the opportunity to play a major championship at a golf course like that after I had already been kind of close before was, was really special. Um, you know, but Beth Page, it just is what it is. It's a, it's an animal of a golf course day in and day out just because they don't have to do anything to it. I mean, every single day, it's a long enough golf course. It's got fairways that are narrow enough and it's got rough and greens, you know, so truthfully, it's probably one of the, my favorite courses that I've ever played. Um, cause it's all right in front of you. I mean, it's, it's difficult without having to be gimmicky and that's to me what makes a golf course great. Being a PGA professional, can you can you tell me a little bit about that in a, in a in a contained sentence? Yeah, I mean, being a PGA professional, you know, it's been something that's part of my life forever. My dad is a lifelong member of the PGA, um, but the ability to help grow the game, you know, make people better at it, make people enjoy the game more, you know, really that's what it's all about for me. Um, I personally have gotten so much out of the game of golf that it makes a huge difference for me to be able to give and then also receive you know confirmation back from people that do what I do helps them get more out of golf and that you know if if, if I would have given up playing golf just to go get a regular job I you know golf I wouldn't be able to give back the way I, I've gotten from golf and that really is important to me I love that um any relation to the painter the Dutch painter according to my parents there's definitely some sort of history there um he's the that's the side of the family that we actually do have some connection to i guess i've you know how close it is or where it all falls i don't really know um but yeah there's definitely something there you look kind of like him <laughs> you look you look like johannes vermeer with a with a golf shirt <laughs> that's right i mean i mean put give me some ice skates and some dutch boy paint and let's go to work <laughs> I love that. Um, so some travel questions. Um, you've traveled a lot. You've lived out of a suitcase for thousands of days. For sure. Tell me about that. <clears throat> um, you know, obviously those are some of the best times of my life. I mean, there's nothing more exciting to me than going 
to pursue the next adventure. That was kind of my approach when I played. Uh, you know, you could leave one week in the past and move on to the next week, and if you kind of rolled with it and had fun with it, you know, it it kind of led the monotony to you know to be exciting. You know, everything was always the same. You go to a different hotel and you go to a different golf course and you do the same thing. But you know, if you kind of always looked at it as, hey, we're gonna play better this next week or we're gonna do you know it was always something different so i i really enjoyed that part of it um you know but that also became you know a struggle at some point and that was kind of what led me to you know having to pull the reins back a little bit is when i started having a family and stuff like that it's you know it's it's difficult to be on the road if you're you know if you've got other obligations um and you're not able to you know call up net jets and get on the private jet and make all those you know fast trips and get home quick and all that stuff um <clears throat> But, you know, those were genuinely some of the best times of my life, and I got to see a lot of places that if it wasn't through golf, I'd, you know, I never would have gone and seen them. So it was, it was cool. So you've got a, a major degree in golf and a minor degree in traveling. Um, what's the best part of, uh, of traveling? Like, like, like the ho- is the hotel experience something you look forward to? What do you, the restaurants, what do you look forward to the most? Definitely not the hotel. I mean, to me, if you've been in one, you've been in about all of them. I mean, I've, I've stayed in some that are definitely nicer than others. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you don't spend a ton of time there. If the bed's good, if it's got a good pillow, and if the shower's got good water pressure, that's pretty much all you need. Um, going to different restaurants, though, you know, just, you know, stuff that you wouldn't normally do. I mean, I've it's not like I'm going out and eating exotic foods necessarily, but at the same time, going to, to different places, different locales, and seeing... Um, you know, what taco stands in California have in as comparison to, you know, what you get in Texas when you're eating a bunch of Mexican food and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, those are the kinds of things that are fun. Um, you know, sightseeing. I, I mean, I went and saw the, you know, Mount Rushmore and the Black Hills and stuff like that. I probably never would have gone and done that if I wasn't within 30 miles of it to play a golf tournament. So, you know, things like that. Um, I'm not necessarily a huge beach guy either, but I've got to see the beach on both coasts and i've stood in the sand and got to go in the ocean on both sides of the country so i mean stuff like that is it's very cool it's it's interesting to see you know the just the differences you know i mean we live in a big country that has you know a lot of different stuff to see and it's it's interesting i've i've been in louisiana and i'm pretty sure i was below sea level you know (laughs) it's just you get to a, it's a totally different world down there. It says it's raining from the ground every day because it's so humid. And um, but yeah, it's cool to see all the differences. And you know, I, th- I think it's a pretty unique thing about the United States of America is you know how much variety we have. It's it's cool. So tell me a little bit about you know your father and how his lifetime you know connection with the PGA shaped his life and and how that then affected you. Yeah. So I mean. From the day I was born, my dad was a PGA head professional um, or a director of golf, which basically oversees the entire golf operation. So, you know, he went to school to be a teacher, and that's what his his sister was a teacher. Both of his parents were teachers, and that was kind of, you know, his plan. Well, he played all the sports, and golf was kind of the thing that he, you know, I guess I don't even know that that was what he gravitated to the most, but he he had success as a golfer just like he did in other sports. Well, a, a job opened up to become you know an assistant professional, and I think he basically just on a whim 
you know, went for it just to see what would happen. And he got it. And next thing you knew, like a year or two years later, he had the head professional job at a club. So he had, he had always been a head professional. And for me, that just meant I had the opportunity. Um, you know, not a lot of people would be able to grow up the way that I was able to grow up, going to the golf course, getting golf equipment, getting, you know, all the things that you would need to, you know, to progress through, um, you know, and, and to do it virtually at no cost. Um, you know, golf is not exactly the cheapest thing to go do. And I was given an opportunity that I, you know, that obviously was luckily able to take advantage of, but it was something that most people don't get. I basically grew up at the golf course and if I wasn't playing golf, I was swimming or playing tennis. Um, you know, so it was a, it was an awesome way to grow up and to be able to, you know, spend more time with my dad than maybe my brother and my sister did because they didn't play as much golf as I did. You know, that was something that he and I will always have that's very special as well. You know, we were able to bond, you know, through what he did and then now, you know, I'm the one doing it. So it's, it's a pretty cool opportunity that I definitely tried very hard not to take advantage of. Um, you know, and I, I put in the work that, you know, I think he thought that I needed to put in to be able to continue to, you know, give me, you know, the opportunities to go play in tournaments and do all the things like that. I mean, some people could, you know, half, you know, maybe not, maybe not put in the amount of work that I put in, even though they could, you know, I don't know. I just, it was something that I, I don't know. I, I just felt like, you know, it was, it was up to me to not only just be at the golf course and like as a loiterer or somebody just kind of was hanging around, it was, you know, I needed to be there and actually be productive, not just hang out, you know, and I, I was able to do that. You know, given what I'm assuming is an incredible amount of knowledge that your father gave to you, what stands out as the most useful piece of advice? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, some of the most useful stuff was what he didn't tell me. Um, he was pretty adamant about me doing simple things right, like having a good grip and having a you know, reasonably good setup to the golf ball. But more than anything, he just told me to go figure out, you know, what it was that I needed to do to hit golf shots. I mean, he would kind of tell me like, oh, well, have you ever tried to, you know, for, I tell people this story a lot. We had a scoreboard out in front of the pro shop with the putting green on the other side of the scoreboard. And I just remember him telling me, and I was very young, I was five or six years old at the time. And he said, well, why don't you just go out there and see if you can hit it over the scoreboard and get it up onto the putting green. And I was like, okay sure <laughs> and I you know I remember it took me about a half an hour and I finally figured out how to do it but he had a very good way of kind of giving me a task and then letting me kind of go figure it out on my own I mean I would fail and then I would succeed and then you know kind of go back and forth but I mean he he essentially gave me the opportunity to go do things and he told me just enough to where I could get started and then I would do it on my own um I got to play golf with a lot of players that were way better than I was, and he just told me to watch them. Just watch what they do. See if you can mimic what they're doing. Um, you know, and I think as a kid, that's a that's a great way to learn how to play. Um, Ryan, thank you so much, man. I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to following along and and uh, you know seeing more and getting out to Nebraska. I've uh, I've been to the biggest train yard in the world, and that was in Nebraska. So. Uh, Obviously, Sand Hills. I'd love to. I'd love to. It'd be fun to play there together or something like that. You can make that happen. I'll get out there. Oh, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. Um, we'll connect offline. Hey, thanks. So much.